You're listening to Seattle Real Estate Podcast. What is up, my friends? Welcome back to the Seattle Real Estate Podcast. What are we talking about today? It's one of those many issues that's kind of ongoing. We've had all of this craziness happen with COVID. CDC said, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. One of those things was the city of Seattle used to have a 72 hour rule where you had to move your RV or your vehicle if you're living in your RV or your vehicle every 72 hours, every three days, you got to move it. That way you don't have just a ton of, you know, vehicles on the sidewalk, not on the sidewalk, but on the side of the street next to the sidewalk. That's where sidewalks are. Sorry. And um, the city of Seattle said, Okay, we're not doing the 72 hour parking limit for the lot for that. And that's been in place for the last year. Now we're at a point where city of Seattle is trying to clean things up a little bit because they know folks are coming back to their offices. And guess what, they're trying to get this squared away. So we're going back to the 72 hour rule. And that's going to be a real struggle because we're kind of doing some sweeps of encampments, we're cleaning things up. Hmm, going to be some conflict between the homeless encampments and people who normally are in those areas. Let's jump on in here. And um, and before we do, thanks for being here. If you're new here, welcome. My name is Sean Reynolds. I own a couple of real estate companies. I own a real estate brokerage, and I own a real estate appraisal firm. But mainly, I read the news that you want to hear. All right, let's get into it. Tensions build as Seattle seeks to resume parking enforcement. And I know this is one of those. It's like, why are you reading about parking enforcement? Because it's one of those things that impacts our city, impacts where people want to live, all that good stuff. Now, most of the RVs are not in, you know, residential neighborhoods, they're not in the burbs, they're in the urban areas, they're in kind of the, the South Park areas, you know what I mean? More industrial, um, more, you know, uh, gritty commercial type areas. That's where we're that's what we're doing. The city is not enforced at 72 hour parking limit for the past year. Resumption has worried some about the fate of people living in RVs. Lot the, the homelessness has just exploded during the Rona just a ton of people and and here particularly in Seattle, because I think we have an environment that is probably more conducive than than other areas, especially in the city of Seattle. When Seattle stopped enforcing its 72 hour parking limit in March 2020, it meant Neil Lampy could stay put for a little while. He still occasionally moves the RV in which he lives, but nothing like the musical chairs of, of the past. His current parking spot on Third Avenue South has been home for the past two months. So Third Avenue South is the Soto area south of the dome, the old King Dome. Dome's no longer there. We still call it Soto. So that's uh, we've got two big stadiums down there and a lot of it, light industrial stuff. No big, huge manufacturing plants, but just a lot of light industrial um, warehouses, um, tile show stores, you know, that kind of construction stuff, um, stuff you use to build stuff, that kind of thing, right? Mayor Jenny Durkin said last month that the 72 hour limit would, would return on April 1st, just a few days ago, just over a year since its pause. Businesses are reopening, said her one sentence announcement. And as those businesses return to normal, so too must the space around them. I think we're just at a point where we're like, 
we got to clean the city up and we got to, it's, it's kind of like spring cleaning. It's literally spring cleaning here in Seattle. There will be a period of education, <laughs> period of education. I love the political spin. There will be a period of education in the coming days, said Rachel Shulkin, spokesperson for Durkin. After that period, the city will then start to enforce with citation, said Shulkin. I don't know. I mean, pe people got to live somewhere and pe some people are really read a lot of stories about people, you know, living and doing jobs. They are engaged with the world, yet they are down on their luck and their van or whatever is, you know, it's their last kind of refuge. They're hanging on, but you can't have them living full time out in front of a business, something like that, right? So you've got this give and take. And right now the, um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for these van, van van folks. And I don't even, I don't think we call them van lifers because these are more, what we're concerned about is the vans that don't move, right? I mean, that are just stuck. With the return to parking enforcement comes a now familiar pandemic era tension with logistical and philosophical hurdles for Seattle as it seeks a return to normal. Like the eviction moratoriums or temporary hotel-based housing, finding the best way to back out of the pause on parking enforcement poses deep challenges. Let's stop right there. So, so one of the things that I think about when I, I went um, back during the NFL playoffs, and I've talked about this a bunch, did big walk, so I could talk about it like this. And I started off in the Soto area, and there were a lot of uh, motorhomes, cars, people clearly living out of their cars, you know, nicely parked along the sidewalk, but it was clear they're living there. They've got chairs out, you know, lawn chairs, you know, it's winter, that's kind of what they're doing. In summer, um, I think it would be way easier to do that. But man, during the winter, tough, they've got generators, they've got, you know, all kinds of stuff, because they are living there. And it's difficult for those businesses to operate. But I am more okay with that more okay. Um, than I am with the homeless living in tents next to elementary schools. So yes, there is a big give or take. But in this area, you need the parking for the businesses uh, for their patrons to come in. And if they can't find a parking spot, what are they going to do? They're probably going to look around and go, Oh, my gosh, where am I? Let's go back to the burbs. I don't really need whatever it is I was going to buy. For one, many advocates view the pandemic normal of occasionally scattering RVs as neither proper nor effective talking about getting rid of them. Hey, move. And then they go somewhere else. As it relates to housing and homelessness in particular, Seattle was under a state of emergency even before COVID-19, raising the question of why it makes sense to return to the past on actions related to homelessness. Why don't we just let them stay there forever? Because that's not the way it should be. I think there should be areas, in, in, I think there should be legal encampments that if you want to live in a, you know, van down by the river, that's literally what we're talking about. Maybe it's not down by the river, maybe it's a enormous parking lot somewhere. And that is the community, right? I mean, if that's what we're doing, and there's this many people, keep it controlled, keep it patrolled, whatever, but make it official, get them out from out from underneath the businesses, because that's what's being impacted here is people's ability to make a living and run their business. And, um, you know, you want a place for these people to live yet, you got the whole other side too of the businesses that pay big rent. Um, 
You got to have a give and take, right? COVID has provided us with many other ways of doing business, said Reverend Bill Curlin Hatchett, who helps lead a team of people who do outreach to people living in vehicles, helping them get their tabs up to date, make repairs when necessary, and maybe find somewhere more permanent to live. Why would we go back to 72 hour movement when it's going to be next to impossible for people who have been in one place for more than 12 months to move? So okay, but it you knew it was coming. That's the problem, right? You know, it's coming. You know that the rent eviction moratorium is going to be lifted. You know, that's coming. All this stuff. It's here. It's coming. Many of these vehicles aren't going to start. But more than that, isn't there a better way? Okay, at this point in time, we are reimagining we are rethinking. That's okay. But you got to do something right now. And that's what Mayor Durkin is saying. She is not going to be popular for this. Mm. I'm actually surprised that um, this is kind of where we're at. At the same time, because it's Seattle, and why would we do anything that, you know, remotely makes sense? At the same time, the temporary measures put into place at a time of great uncertainty pose their own problems. The lifting of the 72-hour parking limit may have spared people parking tickets as they stayed home and halted the semi-regular scattering of RVs. Semi-regular, those, those are regular. I, I guess we're talking about scattering, just, hey, you got to go. Uh, but without better alternatives, said Aaron Goodman, executive director of Soto Business Improvement Area, the permanence of the RVs in Soto has created tension in the neighborhood, leading to more conflict and complaints. When you had the rules in place and everybody sort of moved, there was not this sort of tension we're dealing with now, she said. We've had RVs who haven't had to move for over a year, and they're a little territorial. They're stuck in their home. They don't want to go. I don't blame them. They've been given a hall pass for a year. Now we're going to have that conflict. Difficult. Shulkin of the mayor's office said the 72-hour rule is intended to promote transit use while also improving access to businesses. Reinstating the 72-hour rule can help promote mobility. People up and uh, moving. That's an interesting spin. Promote mobility. We need you to go. We need you to move. And the regular operations of the right of way, she said. All right, you got to be able to use the roads. You got to be able to use the streets, right? Lampy hears the complaints of the businesses in Seattle Soto neighborhood, and he gets it. I can understand the neighborhood's complaints completely, he said, standing in a sunbeam in front of his blue and white motorhome, a line of cars, vans, and other RVs where people sleep stretching down the block in both directions. But it's a bigger problem than one might appear. It's not a simple problem. Every single person down here has a story. All right. But that isn't necessarily where people with stories need to be or should be. That's my thing, right? Public street. Mm, I think we need we, we need a better spot for that. All right. Durkin's announcement that the city was reinstating the 72-hour parking limit was tucked into her news last month that the city was extending its eviction moratorium. We're extending the eviction moratorium. We're lifting the 72-hour moratorium. That one is gone. You're going to have to start moving your rigs. The announcement promised a plan from the Seattle Department of Transportation, but as Councilmember Teresa Mosqueda, that plan has not been clear. We've received no official correspondence from the mayor's office directly, she said Wednesday. We are all frustrated by, by the growing number of folks who need housing and seeing people live in the elements in RVs. It's heartbreaking and it's frustrating, but we have to have an alternative. If they're going to be under, given a 72-hour notice, we need to be opening up safe lots or find other options, she added. I, I, on this, this one time, I'm going to agree. Got to have other options. 
Even amid the complexity of the region's broader homelessness crisis, vehicle-based homelessness poses its own unique challenges. Efforts specifically aimed at people living in their vehicles have been halting. The city runs three safe lots, but other efforts have proved expensive or ineffective. Meanwhile, the state Supreme Court is considering a case with huge implications about whether the city can tow someone's vehicle if it's their primary residence. Before the pandemic, city and privately run efforts sought to ticket and tow vehicles in which people lived. Curling Hackett's team, known as the Scofflaw Mitigation Team, works to help people pay and avoid tickets, as well as connect them with housing or a spot in one of the city's three safe lots for vehicles. I didn't realize we had three. I kind of heard of this, but I didn't realize we had three official ones. They must be tapped out all the time because otherwise more people go in there or there's rules and regulations in there. People don't necessarily want to abide by them. I don't know. Meanwhile, the city's RV remediation team focuses on more immediate concerns, including garbage removal. That's a big issue. A lot of times there's just garbage everywhere, right? Pumping waste. So you're living in your RV, you're using your restroom, you're using the bathroom in your RV, um, but you're not pumping it because that's kind of expensive. And moving vehicles that block rights of way, said Sabrina Register. She's the spokesperson for Seattle Public Utilities, where the team is housed. And that may include asking RVs to move from parking spaces. However, that team has also paused much of its work during the pandemic. Register said leaving vehicles in place. So we, you know, we've, we've talked about this a million times too. The CDC has said, don't sweep homeless encampments. It'll spread the Rona. All right, we're kind of getting past that now. And this is one of those things where, all right, that 72-hour rule, we got to bring that bad boy back. And we're going to try and do it real quiet so nobody really kicks up a fuss. But hey, when, when, you, when you're doing this, it's going to come up. There's a media story here, right? And I'm talking about it. Shulkun with the mayor's office said the city's Hope outreach team also works with people living in their vehicles. Lampy has lived in his RV since 2015. He bought it for about $4,000. It still runs, but it doesn't have working plumbing or heat. It's basically a fiberglass tent on wheels, he said. Yeah, but you can lock it up, and it's way more secure than a tent. And it is, uh, I mean, you're going to feel a little bit safer in an RV than you are in a tent on the street, on the sidewalk. Before the pandemic, Lampy worked at a church doing odd jobs around the property. But with his uh, COPD, he felt vulnerable to COVID-19 and left. It was a mistake, he said, and he's, he's uh, struggled to secure employment income since. One thing Lampy has noticed is that the mood among those living in their vehicles has been much softer since the city paused enforcement. Well, they're not getting their boat rocked by having to move every three days. I follow a lot of van lifers because I think they have unique and creative content. They people, the people live in their vans. Some of them do these epic road trips where it's just all fun and, you know, games and beautiful shots and, you know, all that stuff. Um, but then I follow some other van lifers who are more realistic. And, uh, one of the main things is, you're always looking for a bathroom. They typically shower at gyms. And the other thing is having to move your rig all the time. Really annoying, really annoying. Before the pandemic, people would be asked to move, kicking off a competition for a parking space somewhere else. You don't look at the other RV as a neighbor anymore, he said. The other RV is kind of your competition. I need that spot. I don't want to dick around 
wasting a bunch of gas and oil, driving around my old rig that may or may not run for who knows how long. I need to get that spot right now. It's what they're saying, right? That has changed over the previous months, he said. With the 72-hour restrictions lifted, I've gotten to know everybody on a first-name basis since the pandemic, he said. People have begun looking out for each other. It's calmed things down, and it's taken some of the edge off the tension I'm talking about. Okay, correct. But here's the whole, this is the whole point of my podcast. There's a flip side that isn't being voiced. And that is, you've got thousands of RVs. I don't know what the actual numbers are. Uh, I saw dozens when I was on my walk. And that wasn't, you know, I'm just going one way. I'm going into town through Soto. And I saw dozens of RVs, some of them broken down, some of them looked pretty good. Some of them looked like they were just camped on the street and, you know, attending a festival. Um, but the flip side is, is we're talking about people have calmed down. Yeah, but how much has the tension risen for those business owners down there do, trying to make a living, a legit living? How much has that been impacted? A lot. You can imagine looking out your window going, geez, there used to be just two RVs. Now there's like seven where am I? Am I in a homeless encampment looking out, you know, and, and everything that goes with the whole living on the streets kind of thing? You've got employees, you've got customers. Do they want to go in past a dozen campers of various repair or disrepair as it might be? That's a tough go. And that's the flip side that doesn't get a lot of representation. But I talk about it here because it's a real thing. It's a real deal. Among the concerns for outreach workers is that after so much idle time idle, most RVs won't start and could be towed as a result. Yeah, that's brutal. Curlin Hackett said it's clear that people's vehicles have deteriorated over the past year because they're not being, you don't have to maintain them. You can just let it sit there. One outreach worker told him that out of 20 vehicles he visited on a recent day, only one could start. Mm, not good. 5%. Ugh. Not a good start ratio, right? Jacob Scheer, an organizer with Real Change, said that from vendors for the newspaper, he hears concern that the enforcement of this rule will amount to something akin to evictions, potentially without a plan and without clarity. That's how all this stuff goes. You unfortunately just got to jump in and start doing it because otherwise this goes on forever. And this isn't a look that the city of Seattle wants necessarily long term. We've already had it for a year. Uh, and then there are the numbers. King County, okay, we're going to get into it. King County saw a significant jump in people living in their vehicles from 2019 to early 2020. The city and county did not conduct their annual count of homeless people this year because of the pandemic. COVID. Blame it on COVID. But said Chloe Gale, uh, co-director of REACH, anecdotally, I expect we have more people living in vehicles and RVs than we did before. And people have fewer places to go. There's less cushion in their lives. There are fewer services open that they can connect with. It's an incredibly challenging time. You read about all of the services that used to take care of things. Uh, maybe the gun uh, reduction violence team like in Portland. And now shootings are absolutely off the hook. The homeless uh, outreach programs with the police, those have been defunded. We don't have those in Seattle. And guess what? Homelessness and a lot of the crime associated with it has exploded. Crime rings have exploded. That's the stuff nobody wants to talk about because it doesn't make your city look very good. The result is that advocates are calling on the city to slow its return to enforcement until there are clear alternatives. All right, so we want to rethink, we want to reimagine, come up with a game plan. I want to do that too, 
But I also want the businesses and the people living and working and patronizing these businesses. I want them to feel comfortable doing normal stuff. Because that's kind of what's reasonable. But then again, do you want to, you know, throw people out of their homes? It's a it's a tough call. There's going to be a loser on either end, right? That is brutal. And I agree, there needs to be more services, get some more help to these folks, because this is just yet another segment of society that's kind of fallen between the cracks. And we're continually doing these patch up um, solutions. And we don't have a long term solution. Goodman of the Soto Business Area Improvement is, uh, sorry, Soto Business Improvement Area is sympathetic to the people living in RVs. But without the 72 hour rule, businesses are struggling to keep the space outside clean. She hears more reports of confrontations around loading docks. Not good. A recent survey of Soto businesses found that 74% felt unsafe, she said. So seven out of 10 are like, yeah, I, I don't feel safe in my own environment. That is not cool. Can't have that. While it's never been any secret that vehicles simply return after being moved, that movement allowed for some cleanup, and she's eager for the city's RV remediation program to return. We have to figure out a way to have coexistence, she said. Coexistence sometimes means the ability to go around the block and to make space. And that's what's not happening right now. Just not happening. Lampy in some ways represents the complexity of the situation. He's hesitant to take much help, hoping instead to get his plans for a modular housing project off the ground on his own. More than that, he's become attached to his RV during the pandemic. Everybody has. Everybody's you're hunkered down in place and you're not really going anywhere, right? For him, the story should be bigger than where people park. Rather than focusing on the larger forces of poverty and homelessness, he said, people instead say, let's not look at the hardship that drives people into an RV. Let's eliminate them at the end of their rope. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's the tough call. Uh, so you got to have kind of some long-term solution, which we don't have. And we're going to go through a period of education here in Seattle. And people are going to have to get used to that concept of they can't just post up somewhere and be outside of a business or be in a certain location for months and months and months at a time, because that is not going to happen. You know, finding somebody who doesn't have the means to pay, towing their vehicle, having them try and get it out of a tow yard man, I don't have any great solutions. I just know that what's there right now is not necessarily working. Um, and for those businesses, and that's a large part of what I, I represent is I'm a pro small business podcaster. And um, there are laws in place and the 72 hour law is meant to keep things moving. Hey, you can stay here for a little bit, but we need you to, we need this to not be a permanent solution for your lifestyle. So check out one of those parking lots. And um, I don't know what else these folks are supposed to do. But this is going to cause some major, major, just, you know, confrontation between people that have been there and their businesses, their employees, their patrons, and the people in the RVs with one out of 20 that run. Tough scenario, but this is going on. And this is one of those things where we're towards the end of the are we towards the end of the pandemic? Where do we even sit with all that? Are we even close? I don't know. Because um, it's kind of a matter of when does the CDC, I guess, call it no longer a pandemic? Is there a 
is there a criteria for this? Or did we just making all this up as we go? It feels like we're constantly just making stuff up as we go. Do one mask for 15 days, flatten the curve, do two masks for a year. What is it? Masks work, they don't work. Hunker in place works. Oh, wait a minute, all the states that shut down and hunkered in place, they got it the worst. Am I making stuff up? Eh, a lot of people don't think so. A lot of people believe that. And, uh, you know, the numbers, when you look at California and New York, which had some of the hardest shutdowns, look at their numbers. Tell me what you think. Is that just because they've got the biggest populations and most dense populations? Maybe. Or maybe some of this stuff is just silly. That's kind of what I think. Um, so yeah, that's it for me on this one. Uh, I'm going to keep following this storyline too. A number of you guys sent me this. And um, that's why I read it. It's one of those small underlying stories that it won't get much attention in the major media. And I'm giving it attention because it is something that impacts where people live and do business. And that's got to do with real estate, right? All right. So as long as this keeps going, I'll keep covering this story. That's it for me on this one. All right. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for being part of the Seattle Real Estate Podcast. Best thing you can do to help me out, help a brother out. I kind of just don't ever like that. Help a brother out. It, it always just sounds so, I don't know, condescending or patronizing, whatever that is. Help me out is to share the content. Let people know, hey, I think this is worthy of you taking a look at because that's what gets the YouTube algorithm to have people keep watching the content. So for those of you who already do that, thank you so much. It it, it means a lot to me because it I'm sitting here doing this. And when that happens, I'm like, yeah, this makes it worthwhile for me to keep doing this. So thank you so much. And thanks for being here at the Seattle Real Estate Podcast. I'm going to go. I'm going to catch up with you guys on the next one. Bye for now. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell so you'll know when our next video is out.